We believe in business as a force of good. And we believe that the customer has a lot of power. And if mm -hmm. every customer is choosing a compostable, biodegradable product over a non-compostable product, so the people that are making non-biodegradable or compostable ones or don't have a graceful end of life are losing business. And they either have to change or go out of business. I mean, that's the power of the consumer. I know that's idealistic. As more and more people are demanding these types of products and the producer of these products are like, okay, now we need more. We need more of these products. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts. Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hey, so I think that one of the best ways to cut down waste and be more sustainable is one of the easiest things to do ever, but also seems like it's really hard. And that's composting. Would you agree with me, mom? Yeah, the most natural thing to do, easy thing to do, but somehow it's really difficult for people to know what to do and to know what to do with it and all of those things. And it's been coming up so often on our interviews lately, these conversations, it just keeps coming up and up and up, like how big of a problem food waste is. And we just want to talk about that today. So composting, like you live in the city, you live in a house, you don't have much land around you. You can't make a big pile of stuff out there for the rats to come enjoy. So Let's talk about composting for you, the lady farmer in the city. What do you do? In many ways, I think for me personally, living in a city actually makes it more convenient because there is more likely to have a composting service that is accessible to you. So what we do is there's actually a, a city initiative. I'm in D.C. It's called Zero Waste D.C. And they have a program. They gave out free countertop compost buckets at the farmer's market and you just put it on your counter and put your food scraps in it and take it to the farmer's market. And then sometimes if we didn't get to the farmer's market that week or we were out of town or something, we would put the bag of compost in the freezer, which is another great trick if you live in a city or somewhere where you can't just like take it out to your backyard. The problem with that is in our freezer started getting very full of compost and I found there's literally a pickup service. So now I pay, I think it's like $20 a month, which is totally worth it to us. And we'd have no more pileups in our freezer because we just put it out on the curb every Tuesday morning and they come get it. And then they send an email around sort of early spring and they ask if you want any compost for your garden or anything like the actual dirt. So technically you get dirt back by being a part of the program and it's free. You get good dirt back. You get good dirt back. So that's what I do. I mean, it's barely anything. They even brought us the bags for the bucket thing. That's amazing. And Again, the reason you do this, why do you do it, Emma? Why do you go to all the trouble? Because putting the food scraps in the trash can means they'll never break down because then it's sealed up in a plastic bag and then put into a landfill. And then instead of biodegrading, then it actually creates methane and really bad. So obviously I'm being the devil's advocate here, but doesn't food break down? I mean, you know, it's organic and it'll eventually just go away. So for things to biodegrade in nature, there's going to naturally be space and air and leaves and things like that. So we have to recreate that. No one's recreating that in your trash bag. And then in the landfill, that's not what they're doing. This is the big thing we want people to understand. And we've said it so often on here. Really just understand that throwing away your food is putting it in a landfill. 
and it's going to stay there for a very long time. And as Emma said a minute ago, it's going to create methane gas, which contributes to climate change. It's a major problem. So if you are concerned about climate change and you want to do something on a daily basis as an individual, hands down, composting is. This is number one. Yeah. I live in the country. We put all of our stuff in a bucket. We give it to the chickens. We have a place way outside where we can take it and bury it. So like you don't have a compost pickup service. No. But you live on a farm. So do you just put it on a pile? Yes. We have ponies and ponies produce all this great manure. And there's a big manure pile outside and we just bury it in there. Just take a shovel, make a hole, dump it in. And it's far away from the house and mm-hmm. it's not a problem. So then you go get dirt, like that pile turns to dirt, the manure and the compost. So when I need dirt for the garden, of course, I go to the older end of it. And by this time, it's, it's years old. I, I go over where this stuff has been for several years and, and have all this gorgeous, gorgeous dirt that I can good use dirt. in the garden. Yeah, it's such yeah. good dirt. So if you don't have ponies or you don't have a huge farm and you don't have chickens to give food scraps to, there are simple ways that you can create this little ecosystem. And usually if you're near neighbors and such, you'll want it to be contained, covered in certain cases. And there's a little bit more of a science to it if you aren't able to just completely laissez-faire like you can, mom. Yeah. But it's still not complicated. You know, when we lived in Georgia and we lived in the suburbs and we had like, I don't know, less than an acre lot, I had one of those turning composter things out by the house. You can get big round things that you turn or smaller ones, or you can get cans, buckets, whatever. You can make an enclosure with pallets and these are rake. You can do anything. Yeah. Those you do have to pay more attention to. So there are ways, and this is a great preview. We're obviously referring right into our episode here. Yes. So we love composting and we were so excited. We'd heard about these compostable phone cases and then we started seeing from the same company this countertop composter, which is sort of like the answer to where, say you don't have outdoor space, maybe you live in a city, maybe you don't, but and you don't have a compost service. Guess what? There's this thing now because people are geniuses and they can invent things. There's a countertop composter that literally, it's like a mini industrial composter does it all for you on your counter. And we got the inventor and founder of the company on our show today. So it's super exciting. Yeah. And his name is Jeremy Lang of Pila. And that's the company that Jeremy started when he saw firsthand the damage that plastic was doing to the oceans. He was on a family vacation in Hawaii and his child was playing in the sand and he saw this stuff and he said, I want to do something about this. So he had the courage to spend years experimenting with new materials and new technology to try to find an alternative to plastic that can be used in everyday products. And he did it. Yeah. So Pela's mission is to make sustainable products the new normal, starting with a product that you hold every day. So he thought, well, what's something everyone uses every day? Your phone. If you're listening, you might be familiar with Pela and you might even have one of their phone cases. But... They recently, as we said before, launched another product, a home countertop composter that is called Lomi. Pila and Lomi are now creating a waste innovation category with a goal of eliminating 10 billion pounds of waste while on their mission to create a waste-free future. This is such a testament to Jeremy's belief in creating businesses as a force of good and to leave the world a better place. We are in so much awe of Jeremy and all of the innovative technologies that he has spearheaded through his company and his products really gives us hope that there are some things that are moving in the right directions. And if you're someone who can't compost where you live and you're concerned about the huge problem of food waste and how it affects climate change, all you need to do is check out the link in the show notes and get your own Lomi for your home. And this will allow you to turn your own household food waste into, yes, you guessed it, good dirt. Pretty cool. Pretty freaking cool. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we certainly did. And we hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And we'll see you next week on the Good Dirt Podcast. And here's Jeremy Lang from Pila. Hey, 
Hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm the founder of Tila, and we are trying to create a waste-free future. And we're on a mission to eliminate a billion pounds of waste from the waste stream. And we started with a compostable phone case, and now we are producing an appliance that you can put in your kitchen that helps to turn your food waste into dirt and helps turn compostable products like our phone case into dirt and yeah, helps keep food waste and plastic products out of the landfill. Very cool. So how did you get there? How did I get there? <laughs> you know what? It started with waste. And it's interesting. I was listening to one of your podcasts on linen and mm. flax straw. And in Canada, where I am, we grow the most flax for the oil seed in the world. And uh -huh. what's left over, I remember as a boy, so 10 years old, at this time of year, harvest time, driving through the country with my dad. And it was getting dark out and the horizon was like glowing orange. We came out of this valley and I could see these fields were on fire. And the reason I remember it is because I was scared. And I asked dad, what's going on? Like, why are these fields on fire? It's kind of a scary situation. And he said, well, the farmers that grow flax for the oil seed and the fiber in the straw is so strong that, you know, it gets caught up in their equipment. So they burn it. And I said, well, if it's that strong, it must be good for something. And he said, well, maybe when you get older, you can think of something. So that was how the seed in the back of my head, what can we use this waste yes. material for? And it was interesting just on your podcast on linen. I think the ladies who are starting it, is it Pennsylvania? Flax yes. and linen. But like what I, when I went to university, I studied agriculture and I just learned more about flax. And I always thought it was cool just the seed itself because it's like, it's really slippery. And I remember when we were loading like grain cars or if you stepped on a pile of flax, you'd sink to the bottom. It's almost like water. It kind of flows like water, but it's not. And then just the interesting part about the fiber. So like in Europe, they grow it for, you know, the long fiber to mm -hmm. make, spin it to make, well, linen. That's the, the Latin name for flaxes based on linen or it's uh, lineolus, I think, or something like that in that range. And linoleum, that's all from flax. So flax oil. But yeah, mummies were wrapped in linen. So it's been around forever. So I just wanted to find another use for it from the oilseed flax. So it's different likes of flax fiber. So anyway, that was just an interesting aside. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. Without going too far mm -hmm. on the aside. So you actually came up with a compostable type of plastic that we can yes. use for our phone cases. And I'm saying, why isn't this more widespread? It yeah. seems like something that could uh, be easily exactly. adaptable. Yeah. Well, I can get into that story. So fast forward, I was working as an environmental consultant. So I have a bachelor's science in agriculture, so soil science, environmental science, but I was working in Western Canada, cleaning up contaminated oil and gas sites. But I always wanted to start a company that's climbing the corporate ladder. So one day I'm just like, I was sick of the voice in my head. I'm just going to start a company and I called the company Open Mind Developments. And the idea was to look at things with an open mind for a different view. That's from an old Metallica song, nothing else matters. But, and I, so this is 2007. So I started looking for problems to solve. Fast forward to 2008, Christmas of 2008, we're on vacation in Kauai. So my wife and our son was a year and a half at the time. And we're on this beautiful secluded beach and we're digging in the sand. And there were little pieces of plastic everywhere. And I remember feeling sick, like who would litter on this beautiful beach? And why does my son have to take in someone else's litter? And mm. where's this plastic coming from? So when we got back home, I looked into it and found out about Pacific Gyre and plastic collecting in the ocean, found out that it's actually from all of us. And mm -hmm. at the end of life of plastic, it's an amazing material, but we haven't figured out the end of life yet. Right. So looked into find alternatives, found out about these biopolymers that were bio-based, biodegradable, compostable, but they're very brittle. So they had very limited applications. So that's when it clicked in that, oh, this flax fiber is strong. Maybe we can use that flax fiber, combine it with the biopolymer and make a material that can be applied to more products. And then needed a product and the iPhone 4s were just coming out then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everyone had one. It was really exciting. And I wanted something that we could send directly to customers. Small, simple, put it in the mail. You could put a stamp on it. I remember Netflix was doing DVDs then. So it made it think like, hey, this is an easy thing, like to reach our customers and avoid yeah. the big, big gatekeepers at these massive companies and not have to deal with retail, just go direct to uh, customers. And they wanted a product that solved a problem. So like the average person keeps their phone for two years, yet the case to protect it will last for hundreds or thousands of years and won't be recycled and end up in landfill. It just seemed ridiculous or over-engineered. So. That's how we started and did R&D at the University of Saskatchewan here and then started, launched the very first Pila case in 2011, July of 2011. So it's been a long time. And then uh, just kind of built, uh, built on it from there. So you invented the material and then yeah. you have to invent the product. Yes. So you use the material. Correct. Interesting. And then did the whole thing of working out of the basement with family and friends and packing orders and handwriting notes and all that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And in 2015, I realized I needed help. I started working with a coach and I worked, realized my strengths and weaknesses. I you know, had this massive goal for the company, but I didn't know how to get there. I knew how to make the product. I didn't know how to market it, didn't know how to scale it. So I applied to this entrepreneur event and got accepted and went to it. And that's where I met my two partners, my two co-founders. Matt is our CEO. He knows how to market the product. Mm-hmm. And Brad is our chairman, the co-founder. He knows how to scale the product. So that the three of us came together and kind of clarified our vision and built it out from there. But yeah, so a lot of lessons there. And then we got to just kept growing. This is 2018 is when we set our goal to eliminate 1 billion pounds of waste. That's based on the number of phone cases. 1 billion phones roughly are sold a year. 80% of phones have cases and pretty much all cases end up in landfill. So we're like, what if we could replace a billion phone cases and and a billion pounds of waste? Yeah. So we started with phone cases and, you know, just built that out. But what we realized is not everyone has home compost. Not everyone has access to industrial compost. Not every industrial composter will take it, even if it is certified compostable, because they don't know what it is. They're not going to read every label. They don't have the capacity to do that. So a lot of it actually, a lot of certified compostable products get sorted out and end up in landfill when they're supposed to end up as composted in the soil. So we're like, well, what if we create a device that could take our phone cases and turn them into, break them down and accelerate that process. And so they end up in the soil and not end up in the landfill. And then along the way, we discovered how wasteful food waste was going to landfill. And we're like, what if we could plants and animals when they die? That's nature's fertilizer. It's supposed to go back to the earth. There has never been a need for fertilizer up until, you know, recently. So just getting back to the whole regenerative thing. So the worst thing we can do is take food waste and put it into a landfill where it creates methane. And also we're stopping that from going back to the soil where it can be a fertilizer to help grow more plants and the whole natural cycle. So we're really trying to mimic nature and help nature along. And that's how we came up with Lomi. So Lomi takes you know, our certified compostable product and other certified compostable products. It helps break them down, goes to a compost facility, doesn't get screened out because it's already broken down and ends its life as, as compost. You mean the actual machine? No, the phone cases and compostable product. This machine we're working on. That's amazing. Let's back up and talk more about food waste because yes. I think this is a thing that is probably very misunderstood on a wide mm. scale. People think, oh, it's food. It just breaks down wherever you put it, but this is not true. So right. would you like to talk about that some? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's roughly 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions are from food waste rotting. Yeah. And when they rot, you know, food waste is meant to break down mostly in aerobic environments, like in a field or, you know, eventually break down and it creates CO2, but that's okay because that's all part of that natural balance cycle. Like, you know, the plants take the CO2 out of the air. And then when they go, you know, when they die, biodegrade, it goes back into the air. When we put it into an area like a landfill that has no air, so no oxygen, no O as part of the CO2, you know, then we're creating methane. And methane gas is way worse for the environment than CO2. And it, it throws everything out of balance. So... Anything we can do to make it easier for people to keep their food waste out of the landfill and get it back to the soil where it belongs is a win. So we're really trying to just make that happen and make it easier for people to do that. Yeah, like food, it's it's nature's fertilizer, right? It's really high in organic matter. The soil is starving for organic matter because we strip everything for the most part. A lot of places in the world pull the nutrients out of the soil and then nothing goes back in. So now we have to pour more synthetic fertilizer on there and it just builds and snowballs. So yeah, we look at it as just helping nature. Food waste, we shouldn't even be calling it waste. It's a very yeah. valuable natural resource. So anything we right. can do to get it back into the soil, let's do it. I think it could also use some reframing. In my generation, you know, you didn't want to waste food right? because other people were hungry and our, yes. our parents were from the the era of the depression and mm-hmm. there are still hungry people of course there are still people that need food and that's a huge need but also there is this problem of disposing of food in an inappropriate way right. that is contributing to climate change so now it's it, you know it's a double-edged sword it's not just about having enough food for everybody to eat, which is a huge problem. That's a good point. So we're focusing on residential and eventually commercial food scraps. So that would otherwise go out on your plate in the garbage. Yeah. But the whole overall category of food waste is, yeah, is it rotting in the field before it gets to market or is it stuff that people don't buy because it's not perfect? So it ends up going to landfill. Like that is the, a massive problem as well. So yes, not, we're not talking about wasting food. (laughs) We're talking about Food turning into waste. Well, how would you even word yeah. it? Like, I think food scraps is almost. It's scraps. Scraps, scraps. you know, termed as that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now that our American history is has sort of a, a legacy of homesteading, people living yes. with big gardens and chickens and so forth. And in that setting, there's use for the food. Always, something will always yes. eat it out there. 
I can always put it in your garden or feed it to your chickens. But the more people are concentrated in the city and in areas where they don't have facilities to compost or even, you know, a means to do it, they don't have green space, they don't know how to do it. And so here comes the loamy. (laughs) So tell us more about the loamy. You can literally put your phone case in it too. Yeah. So that's why we started it. So we started doing R&D and like, how can we accelerate? you know, this process. And right. one way I, we like to think about it is, you know, if an apple falls to the ground, it might take six months to a year to, you know, depending on the yeah. climate to fully biodegrade. But if you put in a compost pile, there's more energy, more heat, more microbial action. It maybe takes months or weeks. Put it in loamy, we add energy. We compress time by adding energy. So we help break it down even further. We have a controlled environment where we control the humidity, we control the aeration, we control the mixing. So we're basically, we like to think of it as we're helping nature. We're helping like instead of an earthworm chewing on that apple or, you know, breaking it to pieces, we help to accelerate that. But we started with the phone case and same idea, create optimal compost environments so that this phone, instead of it taking months in a land or in a compost facility to break down, maybe it can break down in this device within a controlled environment. So we started with that. And actually the very first time we got it to work, we thought someone actually took the phone tape because we put food waste in on their phone case and. We got it dialed in and we're like, did someone take the phone case? Like, where did it go? Oh, kind of thing. So, does it happen that quickly? Yeah, it does. It happens in about six hours, kind of with our phone case. Five to seven hours. Gosh. So, it does, it breaks it into pieces and we're doing more research on like what different enzymes can we add. So, now that we have this, this is just version one that we're building off of. But now we have this controlled environment where we know the temperatures and we can adjust it. Now, what enzymes can we add or different additives or to help? even improve it, even like make it even more optimal and improve that environment more. So that's what we're really excited about. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional Marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Yeah, and then... We launched it on a crowdfunding campaign through Indiegogo. And we're like, we thought maybe if we'd sell 5,000 units, that would be amazing. And we ended up selling 22,000 units. And it ended up wow. being the largest think, environmental technology crowdfunding campaign ever. And I think it was the, one of the largest crowdfunding campaigns of the year, just in general. So we found out that we touched on something. Yeah. And so that was in April of last year. And we started shipping them in January. And we, and we have over 100,000 shipped now and people using them and really loving them. And, and they're not perfect, but still have a lot of fun. And some of the biggest comments we get are just, it's wow. And people think it's crazy. Like to see your food waste. I think that's a big part of it from stickiness to actually see it turn into dirt. And then once you start using it, you just put food waste in the garbage or your compost bin even like it just seems so much more wasteful like you, you know once you yeah. start using it, you're like oh my god what did i do before and, and yes, yeah yeah it gets rid of the odors and the, the mess and the fruit fly it's fruit fly season right now it gets rid of that kind of thing so and then as a broader thing you know we're helping to reduce the weight the weight also by like 70 to 80 percent so now on a broader scale let's Lomi is ubiquitous and everyone has one or a Lomi-like device in their households. So now we have 70% less weight going to landfill or 70% less weight going to the compost facilities. And ideally it's going directly to farms. So we're trying to cut out the compost facilities all together to keep the strain off the compost facility 
And so we're doing a lot of trials with farms so we can put it directly on the soil and mix it in. And it's, we're seeing some really neat results with that. So. so how does that work for residents? So say I live in a city, but there's plenty of, I mean, I have plenty of places I can go. Yeah. So my, my Lomi would digest digest and then I would I think I would just like dump it on my little yard area but seeing someone doesn't have that and there's like literally no green space are you saying there's a way to get it to a farm so yeah that's what we're working on but right now most people are they're either going to put into their organics waste collection bin and it's like you don't have to put your out your bin as often because it's like yeah. reduced by 70 percent of the weight and it doesn't smell, so you don't have to worry about animals getting to it or anything like that. And then a lot of people are put in their, into their lawn or into their soil and their garden kind of thing. And then we've heard of a lot of other people who literally, once someone knows that they have it, they're like, I want your dirt. <laughs> they're having like, it's almost like yeah. starting up their own community. Dirt farm it's almost. Dirt, yeah, dirt, dirt, dirt provider. Yeah. What is an organics waste bin? So that's the one I was talking about where like, instead of picking up your organics waste bin every month, if everyone had one, maybe if, or sure every week, maybe you'll have to pick it up every month. I think we would call it a yard waste. Like, yes. Emma, you know, you, okay. you can, in a lot of municipalities, you have to call ahead to have somebody pick up your yard waste. It's not something that would happen like every time in a lot of right. places. But that's what that would be. I'm really interested in the profile of your user and who actually makes the decision to buy it because this is an amazing, miraculous thing, but it's sort of a high price tag yes. for the average person that doesn't have composting that much on their radar. Who are these 100,000 people that have bought these things? What's their profile? I'm just curious. Uh, surprisingly, like our Pila case demographic is younger, female, like, you know, 20s for the most part. Whereas this art demographic for Lomi is more of a mix, male to female and older, like 45 and up kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, in areas that have a little more money right now and have those programs. So the other interesting part that we found, like even in California or in areas that have organics waste collection, yeah, we thought, well, maybe we wouldn't sell that many Lomis in that area because they already have someone to pick up the food waste. But because it's so smelly and gross and wet and heavy, mm -hmm. it's yeah. not fun sending it to the organics waste collection bin. And what we found is that we are actually selling more Lomis in those locations because it makes it easier for people to do it. And we've also found that surveying our customers that roughly 25% have never composted ever before and 50% have composted but quit because it's hard and it's painful. And so we're just trying to make it easier for customers to get their food waste out of the landfill. And also, like what you said a minute ago, once you've done it and it's yeah. sort of in your practice, to stop doing it is really kind of painful. Like you really don't want to go back to throwing your food away once no. you've seen what can be done. Yes. So this is really exciting. Yeah, thanks. Well, and the other thing too, with organics waste collection, a lot of them only really accept yard waste. So like grass yeah. clippings and leaves because right. the food is so smelly and gross and they don't want to take it. And but heavy. Yeah, and heavy. But now with Lomi, you can now start taking food waste as well in those collections. Yeah, because you just may turn it into dirt. That makes sense. And it doesn't sense. smell and it's all that stuff. And the other neat part of it is we're working on a, you know, a new version that is smart and connected and has weight sensors. Ah, so now we know yeah. weight going in, weight going out. We know exactly where it's located. So when we get to the point where maybe there is a Lomi in every household, we could collect all that data and we know how much food waste you're saving. And we could say, hey, you don't have to send a truck to that neighborhood because we know Mary and Emma are using this and everyone else in the neighborhood. So actually you only have to send it once a month instead of one a week or something like that. So that's the pretty cool thing that we're really excited about as well. And you know exactly when you hit your goal of saving 1 billion. Exactly, which is 10 million lomies, a thousand pounds a year. That's 10 billion pounds. So it's not that crazy actually. Yeah, look, <laughs> and that actually. We're also working on verifying the carbon savings as well. And that's roughly a million metric tons of CO2. So when you send food waste in a rotten landfill, it creates that emission. So when you're not sending it to landfill, you're avoiding that emission. And by putting that organic matter back to the soil, it helps to sequester carbon. Healthy topsoil helps to sequester carbon in the atmosphere so that you get a savings as well. So that's something that we're working on verifying with gold standard and other organizations. Is that what you mean when you say that the product itself, the appliance is carbon neutral? Is that all of that data combined that you put together to make that statement? What do you mean by that? It's kind of two separate things. Okay. Since 2019, we've been doing a carbon footprint on our entire company, all the operations like manufacturing, scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. And we measure that and then we offset it. We purchase carbon offsets. And we also try and lower our carbon so that we're, we're actually climate neutral certified or which is like carbon neutral. So. With all the manufacturing emissions for Lomi's, which equates to roughly about 70 kilograms 
of CO2E to manufacture Lomi. We offset that to get to zero. Now, we also have reduction targets. We're going to try and make Lomi more energy efficient, use different materials, all that stuff to lower that. But then when you run your Lomi, yes, you have savings. The operating, it's like running a Tesla after I think 5,000 miles, you start to break even. So after Lomi, depending on where you're running it and where you're putting your end product, in most scenarios, you are from day one, you're in a positive carbon savings environment. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, this is sort of related to something you were saying before, but to the consumer and who they are. So just as an example, I think I'm a perfect example because I, the host of the Good Dirt podcast, we are obsessed with composting. My mom lives on a farm. Composting is very important to me. But when I first moved into this new place in the city, I didn't have a compost system set up. So I would collect my compost and take it to my parents' house, which was really annoying. And then finally, we got a compost drop-off at our farmer's market. So I was like, oh, this is it. I'm just taking my mm-hmm. compost to the farmer's market once a week, which was like too hard. I don't know why that's yeah, too hard. Just <laughs> red sometimes, and, yeah. and sometimes I wouldn't be able to get to the yeah. farmer's market that one day or we'd be out of town. And so that was really inconvenient. So then the next phase is now we do the pickup. There's a service that so we pay on top of all of our other stuff to pick up and I put my bin outside my place every week and they come and get it, which is great. But yeah, it's gross. And then the, the bin is really smelly. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, you can be the most conscientious person and with best intentions. And it's still, I mean, my freezer was like full of compost because that's what we would do. Be like, oh, stick it in the freezer because it won't smell. And So this is just Lomi version one. We're working on, you know, I mean, we're we're not perfect, but we're we're going to improve every version of Lomi and we're going to try and have different versions that are lower price point just to go everyone has access to it. I mean, that's like any, with any new technology, mm. right? Like remember, even speaking of like phone cases, I remember the first iPhones yes. were too expensive to purchase and, and, and that's, that's what happens. Could you not make the Lomi out of the same plastic that you make the yeah. case? I'm Good curious question. about the, the appliance itself sure. and what's yeah. the end of life plan for that and, yeah. and how long have you found that they last and that sort yes. of thing. Let's talk about the physical thing. You bet. So we like, to think we coined the term responsibility economy. So we want to take complete responsibility of our product. So with our phone cases, we have a Pila 360 program. So when you order a phone case in the envelope, you can just put your old case, put it in there, stick a stamp on it, send it back to us. We'll regrind it and turn it into a second generation product, or we'll grind it up and send it to a compost facility. So we're using the same philosophy around Lomi. So when you're done with your Lomi, we'll take it back. We'll refurbish it and maybe give it to a nonprofit, you know, to schools or lower income areas that can't afford Lomi. So in part of the education piece, so that's the one way. And then ones that we can't refurbish, we'll take back and we know all the components going into it. So we'll recycle everything that we can. So it's, there's really only like three materials. So pretty much the majority of it can be recycled. We also made it so it can be repaired. So for example, if your fan quits, it's not done. We've made it so like, it's literally like changing a battery. You can fix it. So those type of things regarding the materials, we are working on it because there's quite high heat involved. It's right. Bio-based. Yeah. It's tricky to It would compost itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we got it. It's a little more material science to work on and we are working on that yeah. as well. So that would be neat though. It's uh, like cannibal almost. <laughs> when my mom and I first started Lady Farmer, the impetus was to create a line of sustainable clothing. Mm-hmm. And we'd never thought about like compostable clothing yes. before. We were really excited about that concept. And we would talk to people about it and they'd be like, so you go out in the rain and right. your clothes melt well, off? Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, not really. But... We get that question a lot about our cases. Will it begin to break down in my pocket? And it has to be in a compost environment at those right temperatures, with right. micro rich in my, uh, microbial environment. So, but you know, speaking of clothing, we're testing different materials in Lomi. So the crazy idea is like, what if garbage was optional? What if everything you consumed could go back to the earth? Just like in nature, right? Humans are the yeah. only species that actually waste. Yeah. So, like, what if your shirt could go into Lomi or whatever? That's kind of where we're pushing it and trying to get to it. And when I talk about adding enzymes or now we have this controlled environment and it's democratizing or decentralizing waste management. So instead of all these massive compost facilities to take care of all these materials, what if each other the device in our homes that oh. can help break down these materials. And then even if they are going to those facilities, there's 80, 70, 80% less weight and mass going to it. So now right. these materials, these can be a lot more efficient. Yeah, yeah, and we're helping to clean the stream. So they're getting quality product or quality feedstock going to these facilities. 
and directly the farm. So cutting out the compost was silly altogether. That's what we're really excited about. This brings so many questions to mind. Are you familiar with a company called TerraCycle? Yes. Uh, spoke with their CEO in the past. Yes, for sure. That's exciting. We just, we talked to them. We today. interviewed them this morning and they have this. It's weird. Yeah. These two interviews are back to back. Yeah. That's great. They have a thing where it's like, uh, you know, imagining a world without waste, eliminating the idea of waste. And we were talking a lot yeah. about that concept this morning. And that's just what you're describing where you know, waste is not a thing. If you, you put your clothes in, you can put your utensils and yeah. all these things are just, it's just designed so that things go back to the earth. And this, you know, sounds like science fiction, but really it's reversing something that we've brought into our world in very, very recent history. Yes. You know, plastics are new. That's right. And I look at my parents' generation or the boomers, they were the original zero wasters because they didn't have a choice. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. They could not waste. And, or, you know, everything growing up on a farm, everything goes back to the earth. Yes. I mean, it, that's maybe to the extreme a little bit, but like that was the mindset. And like, yeah, you would never waste mm -hmm. food. Yeah, there was always, yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's always chickens or pigs or mm -hmm. something out there to eat your food scraps. And mm -hmm. so speaking of things that can go into, and you're, you're working up to like everything in the low meat, I thought I saw on one of the ads that I watched or something that you can actually recycle those compostable utensils. Yes, certain ones. Ah, so that's the thing you can do now. Yeah, so we have a Lomi approved okay. program, we're calling it. So our main okay. focus is food waste, but also we're working on compost, like our phone case and certified compostable product. So number one, they have to be certified compostable. So they're going to an industrial compost facility, most of them are home compost. What we're doing at Lomi is just, they go in Lomi and how compatible are they in Lomi? And so they break down in Lomi, maybe completely, or maybe, you know, just they break it to smaller pieces, but they still, whatever their certification is, they still need to go what that end of life is. So we're not, it's almost like a pre-treating or pre-conditioning these materials. So like I said, so when they end up at that compost facility, they're not getting screened out as regular plastic. They've already broke down oh, okay. in their life as dirt or as compost that they were intended to. So these things, like you go to a takeout restaurant or something and it'll say, you'll have to look at this plastic thing and it'll say, compostable and everybody's so happy because they're they yeah. think they're not adding to the trash and then they probably throw it in the trash can okay so where it goes to the landfill yes. so you, what you're saying is the Lomi can pre-treat those things yes it'll be Lomi approved and then you send it what if your municipality does not have the proper facility to process that stuff that after the Lomi approved treatment. Right. If your community doesn't have that facility, you're out of luck anyway, like that. Yeah. yeah you would so that's our goal is to make those materials and that environment where instead of going to an industrial compost facility, it can go into your backyard or your soil. Yeah. That's the crazy goal. And that's going to be hard to do, but like adding different enzymes, that's some of the research that we're working on and working with raw material manufacturers to help them with that problem. But you nailed it. It's almost like recycling where we're at the point where they're cycling. You know, you can call things recyclable, even they don't, mm -hmm. even though they don't get recycled, like 90% yeah. doesn't get recycled. And right. it's probably the only technology or system that gets worse over time. It's not getting better and right. because the materials are getting more complex and there's more and more. And then when you put it in the recycling, I think a lot of customers are, is it really going to get recycled? Like really? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's really cool about Lomi is when you put a Lomi approved certified compostable product in it and you see it break down. Yeah. Like, you know, and the other neat part of it too, is we talk about cleaning the stream. So keeping contaminated like glass and conventional plastics out of the compost stream, it adds another layer of screening. So if you have a non-compostable plastic product and you put it in Lomi, even though we'd say not to, and you know, it's not going to, you're basically choosing to litter right there. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's another checkpoint further upstream. So, which is really powerful too. We're excited about that. Mm. Yeah. It makes people conscious of what they're doing with things they're finished using, which is so much the bottom line of like the whole thing. I mean, people have, they just don't think about this. Right. So this is a tool. If you're buying in from the yeah. get go, okay, I'm going to compost my food. I'm going to have less food waste, no food waste. And then, it, you know, it's kind of like a, a snowball. You keep adding to it and adding to it. And I had an idea while you were talking, you're talking about the clothing. Could the Lomi, if you have an article of clothing, a small article, because I know it's not that big, like say 100% organic cotton sock or a t-shirt or something, would it break down in there right now? Yeah. It's tricky. Fibers are strong, right? Like even in nature, that black fiber, 
that yeah. sits on the field, it's hard for it to break down. Whereas like wheat straw, you can break it up in the combine and it'll go, you know, so that it's harder to do, but we're working on that. And that'd be more enzymes or different, even just mechanisms, mechanically breaking it down further. So wow. theoretically, yes, but the fiber is quite strong, but if it goes to a compost facility, it's natural. Like if you put flax fiber in a car, it, it is compostable and biodegradable naturally. That's what it yeah. is, you know, so. So there's that side of it too. We had a customer who had a pair of our, we had these linen blend overalls yeah. early on and she posted a picture. Was it a full year, Mom? Yeah, it was a she year. She, she had the before and the after and it really like, it did compost. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Out your pile, out, your compost pile like outside. So as long as there's no harmful dyes in there, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. The plants and that's part of the compost certification as well. So, yeah. So I'm dreaming up your next product here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit Dream. bigger. <laughs> And it takes only 100% natural fibers that are treated with non-toxic dyes and no plastic accessories or anything like Just like the line of clothing that we made in yes. 2017. No, wow. There was no plastic breakdown, all that. It was expensive to produce, so we did not continue. But yes. if more and more people could get hold of that kind of clothing, and you had this larger version of the Lomi that was amped up to break down textiles, mm -hmm then we could start a trend where people are buying only clothes that can be composted and you have a home composter <laughs> and you can make soil out of the clothing you're done with. So is, yes. isn't that a thought? <laughs> it is a great thought and we're working on it. We're <laughs> oh, so we're talking great. about all of that. You know, we're working on larger lomies that take more different materials and have different binding oh, mechanisms. So that's so exciting. You're on the right track. It is exciting. And we love to hear ideas. Yeah. And also it could, uh, you know, raise people's awareness of the plastics and the synthetics that are in their clothes. We talk mm -hmm. about this a lot. People don't realize that. The awareness just isn't yeah, like there. You can't compost recycled plastic leggings, even though they're recycled plastic. Yeah, that's the thing about recycling. So we're trying to focus on yeah. biodegradable compostable materials. Recycling yes. is great, but eventually right. you can't recycle it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe with chemical recycling, you'll be able to use it more and more. But then what do you do with it? So you're kind of kicking the can down the road. Ideally, best mm -hmm. case scenario, and it's not for every product. And I know it, like it's not or no one's perfect, but when, when I gave the example of phone case, like our cases, we can grind it up and turn it into a second generation product at a hundred percent regrind, like not adding a virgin material to it. Like, and we can do that two or three times. And then we grind it up and then we send it to a complex facility. So we use it as many times as we can. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to the earth, which is one step different than the recycling. But I mean, this is a massive problem and we need different people attacking it at all different areas. So yes. recycling thing is many, like what TerraCycle is doing is amazing too, because they're taking hard to recycle items and actually recycling or turning them into different products. So yeah, so just a different, we're really trying to focus on that compostable, biodegradable, graceful end of life, going back to the soils kind of thing. Yeah. I think it all boils down to choosing to use materials for manufacturing that the earth can ultimately digest. Yes. Because even the, you know, the synthetics, the plastic water bottles and so forth, and, you know, I know people recycle them into certain things, but as you say, you can do it once, twice, three times. These things have a finite ability to be reused. And then if they're synthetic, you reach a point where they have to be disposed of and the earth doesn't digest those things. So you've got a problem. Yes. So the more we can transition and research our items of daily use out of these materials that can be eventually returned to the earth, the better off we're going to be. And that leads me into this question of, do you think that this technology that you're working with can be scaled or transitioned to things like you know, single-use plastic and medical supplies? I mean, anybody that goes to the doctor these days sees yes. the massive stream of plastics that are used just in a routine, not just medical supplies, but everything. All of our commerce is just loaded with it. Can this technology be applied to all these things? We hope so. No, sir, we're trying to. It's going to it's gonna be, a, it's a massive change. Yes, yes, yes. But the material science is just getting better and better. We believe in business as a force of good. And we believe that the customer has a lot of power. And if mm -hmm. every customer is choosing a compostable, biodegradable product over a non-compostable product, so the people that are making non-biodegradable compostable ones or don't have a graceful end of life are losing business. And they either have to change or go out of business. I mean, that's the power of the consumer. I know that's idealistic. As more and more people are demanding these types of products, 
and the producer of these products are like, okay, now we need more. We need more of these products. Yeah. So now they're leaning on the raw material manufacturers. Can you make us this product that we'll do this? And then they put, spend more R&D on it. And so we're getting there. And the demand is increasing a lot, a lot. Like we've been in the game since 2011, 2010. It's changed so much. Yeah. There's so many more options now. You know, even it's really complicated, like you said, with labeling and resources mm. and the amount of money that the recycling facilities have received over the years to separate and sort a lot of money. But the compost facilities haven't been getting that much money. And they are now like, we're getting all these plastics coming in and we can't look at every single label and see if it's certified or not and then verify it. So that's something that needs to be worked on as well. So we kind of see Lomi as, you know, on the compostable product side to help bridge that gap between the compost manufacturers and the compost facilities. That's the screening, like I talked about, it's cleaning the screen, it's breaking it down. We know it's certified compostable. We know it's breaking down. We know it's going to a compost facility and we know it's ending up in the soil or as compost, so. Sort of related to this idea, I like to think about what is, the conversation usually comes back to conscious consumerism yes. and power of the consumer and a lot of times even the responsibility of the consumer. And a few times on this show, we've had some really interesting conversations where that is also sort of flipped on its head in at what point is too much responsibility unfairly placed on the consumer and that it's hard to read labels, it's hard to know, it's we're responsible for not only getting the information, but also assessing out if it's good information. And then we are supposed to like know where to get things and what. So mm -hmm. all of yes. that. So I, I guess I'm curious in your take on sort of what is that balance between the responsibility of the consumer versus the responsibility of the manufacturers and of these bigger companies who really do have, I mean, companies have power too. Well, absolutely. And you being, yes. I think, a shooting example of a responsible company, you must have some thoughts. I do. <laughs> I'm talking about us as a company being responsible for our products. And I think more right. and more companies are doing that and realizing that, hey, we have a problem with the end of life options with the companies looking at that. When I'm talking about the customers, it's more about, not, it's less about, well, it's somewhat about responsibility, but it's more about the power of by choosing mm -hmm. to. Choose a more sustainable alternative over a non-sustainable. So that's, and I know it can be overwhelming with all the labels and all, all of that. And like I said, and getting to the point where like, do you even trust that something's getting recycled? And, you know, how can companies call something, say, recyclable on, even though they know it's not going to get recycled? Even that alone. And we're finally being more aware of this. So I think a lot of it, we're trying to educate and inspire. And we believe in better. We're not perfect, but just trying to go down the path and, you know, make these little changes and where everyone can make a little change in their life. Just start to look at things differently and question things differently. Yeah. And the other thing I just want to talk about sustainability. So we're focused on end of life, but also sometimes it's more sustainable. Like if you buy a, an aluminum bottle that you use over and over and over and over, getting back to the farmer, the original zero wasters, right? Repair that piece of equipment. Don't buy a new one. Like that type of thing, or a Patagonia jacket that can be used over and over, or you're making linen clothing that lasts a way longer, that's sustainable too, in its own way. So there are different ways of being sustainable. And also talking about conscious consumerism, mm -hmm. just being aware of the pitfalls and all the labeling and so forth out there that is intentionally or not confusing, yes. such as one of my favorite examples is the clothing that's made out of the recycled plastic water bottles. Right. And, you know, the label will say, you know, save the ocean by buying this sweater. Mm -hmm. um, when actually, you know, it's only the tiniest percent, tiniest percent of the worldwide manufactured plastic water bottles that actually make their way to recycling. Most of them end up in the trash pile. So then you're wearing clothing that's basically plastic and there's an end of life problem there. Right. So to your point about choosing from the get go, the items that you're going to choose to purchase, think about the materials before you even buy anything. That's right. And I think, yes, be aware of greenwashing and there are good actors and bad actors. Hopefully there are more good actors than bad actors. And, you know, even that ocean plastic example, when I yeah. talked earlier about, we need all the, everyone has to act. Mm -hmm. So if they're pulling a little bit of plastic out of the ocean and turn it into a product, well, that's better than it's sitting in the ocean. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. better. So I think we also have to, we have to yeah. be aware of what's going on, but also the not, not cut these companies slack, but they're trophy. Are they right? They're right. Like, yeah. I mean, like it's that side of it too, because it's hard. And you look at the massive corporations, like that's like turning a Titanic, right? Like that's hard to do. So I think if we can applaud any little thing they're doing, if they're trying, right? Like everyone has to try, everyone has to be part of it to turn the ship around. I agree. 
with what you're saying completely. But the one little piece of that is in the consumer's mind, then that gives them permission to use plastic water bottles. Right. Because when you go into a store yeah. to buy something and you say, oh, okay, it's all right for me to continue using plastic water bottles because they can be turned into clothing and so forth. When really the whole idea of putting water into plastic bottles and the water is consumed in Yes. A matter of minutes or seconds in the plastic water bottle is there for thousands of years. I call that insane. Definitely over-engineered. It's a massive, massive industry. Well, I think the problem then wouldn't be let's not take plastic out of the ocean and make pants. It would be let's stop making plastic water that's, bottles. That's what I'm getting at. And it's like, yes. what bone do you want to pick with whom? And it's like, yeah, let's stop making plastic water bottles. Yeah, or stop buying them. Right, exactly. Yes. So it's exactly. a little bold, right? Yeah, and we're talking about like huge, like gargantuan iceberg movement. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and these things. But speaking of like where we are with all the plastic things on the planet and the unrecycled and the, the landfills and all of this, you know, when you imagine that Texas sized yes. island of plastic that's floating out there in the Pacific, and I've even, heard there's even a couple of them. What do you think about that? Do you think there's anything that can be done or all of our efforts, all of your ingenuity and all of our talking and all of our efforting and education, is it going to help us where we are? We are optimistic. I, I mean, as a company, we are, that's how we look at things. We have an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset. And, you know, we believe in technology, of, you know, making things better. Having said that, it is a big problem. And I think one is the big, the first part is recognizing we have a problem yeah, and like mm -hmm. taking responsibility for our products, what companies can do, because I know it's, it's a big problem. You can collect all the plastic out of the ocean. So that's being started. People are working on that. Mm -hmm. That's great. And then you have the smaller pieces that can't be collected. Well, that's not good. And now it's in our bloodstream and you mm -hmm. know, that's scary. And uh, you look at the forever chemicals and all of that, and that's very, very scary. And then you look at what are the major rivers, you know, where is this plastic garbage going into the ocean? And, you know, people are looking at, so I think there, there are people looking at that, but we're trying to really get back to the initial source of plastic and how is it made? And can we adjust the chemistry in such a way that, so if it does end up in the environment, it goes back to the earth and really mimic. That's what we're trying to do, but there's a lot of work to do for sure. Yeah. And have you heard of the thing, plastic eating bacteria? I was, I was also just going to ask that. Yeah. Weird. What, what do you know about that? Well, there, are, that there have been other technologies out there. I think maybe the jury's still out on some of them. But having said that, we are experimenting with different enzymes and bacteria for compostable products that help. Right. Like where the bacteria actually see the compostable biopolymer plastic as a food source. Interesting. And, the, you know, the other neat part about these biodegradable polymers or biopolymers or bioplastics is something can be a hundred percent synthetic and biodegradable. It's yeah. just how you adjust the chemistry or it can be a hundred percent plant-based and bio-based and not biodegradable. Yeah. So it's all in the chemistry and how it is. So now how can you tweak that chemistry so that these microorganisms feed on it more rapidly? Like the reason plastic doesn't break down conventional plastic because it's designed not to break down. Yeah. Like I said, getting back to putting the R&D money where people, customers want the, the products to be like that. Yeah. And that science is coming and it's getting better and better. It's exciting. Yeah. I do see a science fiction movie in the future where <laughs> there's some plastic eating bacteria that's gone amok and it's sure. eating other, other things. <laughs> yeah. Or it's saving the world and the, yes. the next Marvel character is actually a bacteria. <laughs> right. Well, nature will exactly eventually figure it out, right? Even if it takes a thousand years. Yeah, it's so true. Steal, it's, if, if we don't that's make right. it. That's right. Yeah. That's the scary part. Yeah, it is scary, but at the same time, it's sort of oddly comforting to think, yeah. maybe we messed everything up. Okay, but the earth will eventually figure that's it out. Right. Yes. So you're a founder of a company. You've done so much amazing stuff. You must have a really busy life. But at Lady Farmer and on The Good Dirt, we really value slow living. We think that slow living is a really important part of sustainability. So I'm wondering what slow living means to you and if you think anything about that concept. I love it. Slow living, that's kind of a new term for me. But I love the way yeah. of thinking of it. When I first read it, um, it made me think of like taking time to be still. We're taking time to be in nature. So we try and, you know, really encourage our team to, to get out in nature and enjoy it. Like this is what we're trying to protect that. And we attract those type of people who love nature. So we have similar values. But when I think about it, it's 
spending time in nature, you know, going for a walk or a bike ride. And it's interesting, even with COVID, like I think a lot more people spent more time outside. And, and usually when I go for a walk, I'll listen to a podcast. I'll try and learn something. But I remember COVID, I'm like, no, I'm actually just going to take these headphones out and just listen to nature and be still. <laughs> so trying to be still, that is how I try and slow down. And are you able to do that? Yeah, for sure. I try and do it daily. It's key. Get out there every day, and right? Gives you the energy and yeah. to keep going or whenever you're stressed, just go out and go for a walk, or go for a bike ride and, and yeah. you know, try and get up into the forest as much as I can. Yeah. So it's going down. Is it very forested around where you are? I'm trying to, what is your... About two hours north. You know, in I'm in Saskatchewan, which is about the size of Texas and half of mm-hmm. it is forest and half of it is agricultural land. So nice. about uh, two hours from, from the forest from here. So get out there. Nice. As often as we can. Is that where your facilities are based? Is everything there? We started here. We now manufacture in Kelowna, British Columbia, which is about three hours east okay. of Vancouver. That's where we make over 70% of our phone cases. And then we also okay. manufacture in China. We have a team in China and Hong Kong, and we manufacture Lomis in China for now. Well, there's a question we ask all of our guests. And in your case, it seems sort of redundant, <laughs> but we wanna, we're going to ask it anyway and sure. see if you... What does the good dirt mean to you, either literally or or metaphorically or any way you want to answer that? And since your company actually makes good dirt, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. Well, I do have thoughts and it's really cool because, like I said, I studied agriculture in university. Soil science is what I studied. One of the coolest parts about what I remember learning about soil is just how it's key to all life. If we have no soil, we don't have life. We can't grow anything. Like it's so amazing and and just the microbial community and how everything works together and breaks down and nature has it all figured out so i think about how powerful important soil is and i think about anything we can do to help improve soil health helps the environment and i also think about with the kiss the ground and you know different you know when they talk about you know trees are amazing at sequestering carbon in the atmosphere but soil is actually a lot more powerful and Mm -hmm. the idea the scary thing is that you know, what do they say? We only have 60 harvests left. Yeah, I don't remember the exact yeah, number. It's but something it's like 60 harvests before we pulled, we pulled everything out of that soil and it can no longer produce. It's no longer alive. Well, that's not, wow. that's scary. So anything we can do to help get that organic matter and those microorganisms and establish those communities and the nutrients, get it back into the soil so it can come alive again and pull carbon out of the atmosphere and create healthier crops too, right? The other neat thing about it I always think about is for years, it's always been, how can you create the most yield, the biggest kernel? Yeah. But now it's like, what if we create a more nutrient-dense kernel? So the genetics is going that way. They're focusing on that, which is really interesting. And how can healthy soil create more healthy plants, right? Feed the soil, feed the plant, that type of mentality. So that's what we're, that's what I think of. And it's so neat to see it come around because I remember my soil microbiology class. You know, and thinking how, um, you know, what is there? Billions of microorganisms on a, just on the, yeah, on little, a little tiny, that's how. More people, yeah. like more than the amount of people in the exactly. world. Is like it's, yeah. And how can we help feed those microorganisms to, to do good things and leverage that system that nature already has in place? How can we help nature and mimic nature? Well, you are doing that with your product and it's so exciting. Yeah, it's the Lomi, the Lomi. Maybe the Lomi is going to save the world. Do you think? Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll try. <laughs> Maybe a little Lomi. part of it. <laughs> yeah. The next Marvel yeah. character. <laughs> As we wrap up today, we also like to just check in and make sure we've covered everything. If there's anything else you want to say or what would you like most to leave with the audience? What do you want listeners to understand about the work that you're doing and about your products? We all can play a role in this. One of my favorite sayings is, it's a First Nation saying, and it's, we are the people we've been waiting for. Ah. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it is it puts the, it kind of gives you confidence. Like, hey, yeah, we can do this. But it also right. makes you take responsibility. What I kind of used to think that there was this magical group of people here that was going to solve all the world's problems. You know, these powerful people? Well, no, it's us. It's like you and me having <laughs> these conversations and starting things and, you know, the ripple effect of little things. So I would just really encourage everyone, if you want to start something, start something, do something, take action yeah. for the good. Or even if it's as small as just choosing a more sustainable product over non sustainable That type of thinking, I think we have a lot more power than we realize and just giving people the confidence and encouraging them to take that step. 
Thank you. Definitely. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, thank you. That was fun. It was wonderful. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. Goodbye.